Well, all year long, we're equipping people for ministry because if we are who Jesus says we are, that is salt and light in the world, then we ought to be able to do it well and be exactly that. And the way in which we do that is not only by our presence, but by our skill in ministry. And so we've been going through um, all of the realms of everyday life because that's where ministry happens. 95% of your ministry is going to happen out there. And we're concerned that... uh, Everybody knows how to minister at their work and minister in their family. And we've been talking about the different realms of friendship. And now we get to to an area where uh, nobody really wants to to talk about this because nobody likes to admit they have enemies. Um, But I want to tell you something about light. Er, Harry Ironside said this. He's a great preacher decades ago. He said, uh, wherever there is light in a dark place, there's going to be bugs. And, And... And so you will always have opposition. You will always have that which is drawn to you that you don't necessarily want. So it's, it's, the Bible is very clear about everybody having enemies. Now, enemies, as we define them, aren't always people with, the, with different uniforms that have a gun that are shooting at you. That's not, that's not just the only definition of an enemy. Think of this. Think of adversaries. Uh, because this is a spiritual battle. It's not a fleshly battle. Uh, ad- ad- adversary is the, is the name given to our opponent. Think of adversaries. Think of people who stand in the way of you accomplishing what God has for you to accomplish. And if you have any people like that in your life, they may, they may think they're for you. They, they may think, they, may th- they, they might be shocked to be called an, uh, an adversary or, or one in opposition but yet, as we go on and unfold this thing, you'll see that, uh, that they are. Um, and, and, and unless we admit they're there, yeah, we won't deal effectively with them. So here we go. If you turn to Matthew chapter 5, uh, and we will read these words of Jesus. Starting with verse 43. The red says... You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Well, now, I want to clear up something right here. It doesn't say in the Old Testament, hate your enemy. Jesus said, you've heard that it said. You've heard it said. What had happened by this time is a natural human reaction. People had started using Scripture to justify their desire for retaliation. Because we've got this thing in us, we all love justice. Kids are born with justice. When kids, soon as kids can talk, kids say these three words very often. It's not fair. That's not fair. How many times a day do they say, that's not fair? We all have this innate sense of justice. And it doesn't get uh, 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 too far down the road till we get impatient for God to bring justice and we want to bring justice. Thank you very much. And so, and so there is this sense in which we're going to look to God for permission to smack back. And that's exactly where the, the folks had gotten. You have heard that it has been said, love your enemies and hate, love, love your neighbors and hate your enemies. Well, that's, that was just what men were saying, not God. It never says that in the Old Testament. But here Jesus brings out a very good point. He says, you're going to have to have to figure out how to deal with enemies. And everybody's got enemies. Um, I think it was uh, Marshall Shelley wrote a book called Well-Intentioned Dragons. 
And it was a book from ministers going into the parish. And, and, and it, it said, you know, your enemy in town won't be the atheist that stands up and, and shouts you down out of, a, out of a theological debate. He said, the, the people who really oppose you are going to be right there in your church. And, you gotta, and, and, they, and they mean well. A lot of them mean well. That's well-intentioned dragons. That's where that, that title comes from. But he says they come in different categories and see if these categories match anybody in your life. He said there are people who, who just want to help you do better. And so they will constantly tell you what to do. He said, I call these people bird dogs. You know, if you're a hunter then, then, uh, and, you, and you got a good bird dog, a good bird dog will just go and just point right where there's something hiding in the bush. Just call them pointers too now. Okay, shoot right here. You know, there are people like that. There are people who say, I can't help but notice you're hunting. Let me help you out here. This is where you need to go. And this is what you need to do. Oh, here's another one. You need to do this. Oh, here's another one. You need to do this. Now, that's okay if you've got one assigned person helping you keep aware of the situation. But if you've got two or three people who are constantly telling you what to do next they become an adversary. They begin to drag you off of what you know you need to accomplish. And all of a sudden, you're trying to please them. He says there are also people who are going to be what I, what I call, and, and this is an age-old expression, just wet blankets. I mean, whatever you bring, how many of you people have people in your life, whenever you come up with a good, good idea, you can, you can know, no matter how good that idea is, they're going to rain on it somehow. They're going to say, hmm, won't work. Nah, hate to see that happen. Nah, no. You really haven't thought this through, have you? Mm-mm, no. It, it doesn't matter how good that idea is. There it goes. You all have that. And they don't mean to oppose you. Actually, most of the time, they're trying to protect you. But still, they become your adversary. They become your opponent. There are people in your life that that compliment you and, and take away more by the compliment than they give you in the compliment. Do you any, do you any, do you any little, little, little shots. It's, it's, it's like little shots. They, they say, if you have a good idea, they say, well, <laughs> that'd be one way to deal with it. Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, well, okay, let's try that. Or they say, you know, I like your hair like that. It doesn't make your face look so round. You know, that's a great dress. It doesn't, it doesn't show your hips so much. You have people like that? Yeah, of course you do. And, and, and they don't mean, they're not you're like your enemy enemy, but they, they you know, you just don't want to be around them very much. And, 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 and finally, over a period of time, you'd like to give them a little shot, wouldn't you? Just to kind of even things out. That's the kind of, so, and this is, this is the thing, so they won't do that to other people? I've got to put them in, a, so they won't do that to other people. I've got to teach them a lesson. And, and you kind of get this thing going inside. Well, Jesus says, you know what? This is not a good idea. Retaliation is not a good idea. And let me tell you why. Because it, it, it hurts you as much as it hurts them. Remember this. You always reap what you sow, what, no matter how good a cause you got for sowing it. 
it always comes back to you. Remember the old Amos and Andy skit that long time ago, the old television uh, show, long time ago, funny, funny show. And I remember one of those, Amos, I think, was, had somebody who every time he saw uh, his, this friend, his, this friend just smack him in the chest. And it just made him so mad, you know, smack him in the chest. And one, one day he comes out with this dynamite strapped to his chest. And Andy goes, what you doing, Amos? He's, I'll tell you what, when he smacks me today, he's going to blow his hand off. Well, you know, that's kind of like retaliation. That, that's going to hurt us as much as it is them. You, you, you just can't come up with the right phrase that it's not going to come back to you. It just doesn't work. Charlie Reese once wrote this. He said, you know, if malice were tangible and had a shape, it would look like a boomerang. And that's very, very true. Most of us grew up in lit class reading the great novel Moby Dick. And all of us understood from the get-go that this great white whale was a symbol of evil. But all of us understood as we read along that this obsession of Captain Ahab to repay that whale for the harm that had been done him was even a darker manifestation of evil and finally did him in. I want to say something very, very honestly to you. If you are even preoccupied with getting back at somebody, it is doing you more harm than it is them. You've got to let it go. You've got to let it go because it doesn't work that way. You remember the movie Forrest Gump? You remember when Jenny, poor Jenny, was so messed up. And one day Forrest and Jenny were walking along and, and uh, they walked past the house the shack, really, in which she was raised. And it was empty now, abandoned. And all the memories of the sexual abuse from her father came flooding back to her. And she picked up a rock, and she threw the rock. And then she picked up another, and threw another, and threw another, and threw another. And finally, she threw, had thrown so many rocks, she just crumpled on the ground, exhausted and crying. And the voice the Forrest Gump comes over the scene and says, you know, sometimes there just aren't enough rocks. I want to tell you something about revenge. There's not enough rocks. And I want to tell you something else. The house is empty. You can't go back there. It's already been done. And I want to tell you something else. The revenge in God's justice will come. I want to, I want to, I want to show you uh, Romans chapter 12. It says this, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. In other words, God's saying, don't try this at home. Leave it to the professional. Respect what is right in the sight of all men, if possible, so far as it depends on you, you are your only responsibility. Their behavior, their attitude is not your responsibility. You are your only, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. 
I will repay, says the Lord. Now, let me tell you a little secret about vengeance. Nobody can do it like God can do it. You can't do it. God can do it. And God will do it at the right time, in the right way, for the right reason, in the right measure. I will repay. You've got to rest in that. You've got to trust God with this. Now, what's Jesus tell you to do instead? Well, let's go back to the text. Here's the next line. It says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you in order that you may be sons of the Father. This literally, the Greek, may be shown to be. This isn't how you earn being a son. There's only one way to become a son or a daughter of God, and that is through Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. So this isn't about salvation. This is about you appearing to be like your father. You know, you, you know how it is when you got kids and they and they um, they do something that you've said, or or they or they they do something that they've seen you do and it resembles you, and you go, "Yeah, that's my boy. Yeah, that's my girl." Well, that's what it said. So you may resemble your father who is in heaven, who watch this causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. And he sends rain, this is very pertinent, sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Could I just put, put a little thing in here about meteorological theologizing? Uh, I, I hear, we have uh, we've had several people come up to me and say, Pastor, we just need to call a, a fast and prayer uh, and repent of our sins so that God will make it rain. Uh, because, because He shut off the heavens because He's so displeased with us. Now that's what I call meteorological theologizing. And that's a faulty way to do theology. You can't read God's mind by looking at the weather. It's not dry in Florida because somebody sinned and wet in Indiana because somebody sinned. But there's some good people in North Carolina, so they're having a normal year. <laughs> That's not a good way to do theology. Now listen to what I'm saying. I am not discouraging us from repentance. I'm calling for repentance. Repent. It's a dumb way to live. Repent. Let's turn from our sins because it not only destroys our lives, it dishonors God. And if we're children of God, we ought to resemble who God is. That's the right reason for repentance, though, not so that we can get some rain. So let's repent, and let's by all means pray for rain. The Bible says right here, He sends rain. So let's ask Him. But let's not try to manipulate Him into something by behaving a little better when we owe Him the right behavior in the first place. Okay. Now, it says, For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Even the tax gatherers do the same. And if you greet your brothers only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you are to be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Perfect. The Greek word here is teleos. And it means a couple of things. 
First of all, <clears throat> first of all, it means mature. It means grown up. In other words, God's saying, quit smacking back. Grow up. There's got to be a grown up on the scene. You're assigned. You've got to be grown up about this. Don't get all involved in those childish, he did it, she did it, well, I wouldn't do it if they didn't do it. Grow up. And the other meaning is to come to completion in order to accomplish what you were made for. It's a goal-oriented maturity. Teleos is not letting anything get in your way so that you can accomplish the good that God put you here for. You know why you're still here? Because God's got something for you to do that's good. God's got a contribution for you to make. If he didn't have that, you'd be out of here right now. There is a purpose for your life or you would not be sitting right here right now. Now, to let enemies or to let the detractors get in the way because there's some sort of tete-a-tete going on is goofy. No, there's a better way. And, I, and, and, and I've, got, um, I've got way too many points in this sermon, so I'm just going to kind of float along and hit whatever I can. But there are some very practical points. First of all, the Bible says, for anybody who comes after you to do you harm, you do them good. You do them good because you do everybody good. You do everybody good. It says, it says in uh, Galatians 6.10, let us do good to all men, especially those of the household of God. And that's a theme that runs throughout the New Testament. You know why? Because that's the character of Christ. And we're Christians. And that's what we ought to do. It's that simple. And the world is looking for that. Last night I was so frustrated with my sermon, I just kind of wandered all over the place. I wasn't prepared. And I just was so frustrated. And, and so I, I knew if I didn't get out and do something that I'd, that I'd just kind of sit at home and stew about it. Do you ever do that? So, so I went home and I said, I said, Beck, let's go to a movie. And I said, and so we'd gotten some recommendations to go to uh, this movie called Armageddon. Holy cow, that's the most intense movie I've ever been in my life. Oh, my goodness. But took my mind off everything. <laughs> As I was thinking about that movie, though, I was thinking, what is there in this movie that is so, so thrilling? And I tell you what it is. There's a storyline in this movie that is, the, that is the same that has been in popular movies since movies have begun and were in novels and books before then. And the storyline is this. There is someone who is willing to give their life in a practical way to help everyone whether they deserve it or not. You know why that's so popular? Because the Lord of the universe did that. And He made a responsive cord in us. And that's what He calls us to. That's why we're so thrilled when we see anybody doing that. Because He made us to not only admire that, but to do that. Sacrifice yourself in a practical way. Do those who would do you harm some good in some practical way. And that says two things. That says, I'm going to be like Jesus no matter what. And that, that also says, and the devil's not going to win. The devil's not going to stand in my way. The devil's not going to stop me from doing good. Here's the thing. Christ not only won the victory. He won every battle. 
It's already there for us. All we have to do is walk in faith and understand that we're going through what we're going through so that the victory can be sweeter and stronger and more wonderful. There's a phrase in, in Romans eleven twenty eight that says this, that they were made enemies for our benefit. What do you think of that? You see, Job says very well, Satan is on a leash. He's already beaten, but he's, on, he's under the sovereignty of God. Satan cannot do anything to us, watch this, that will not make us stronger and more Christ-like. God would not allow that. And so anything we're going through is for the purposes of the sweetness of the victory of Christ. The battle's his. The battle's his. Mountains can fall. We just sung this. And you'll stand. And in your heart of hearts, you'll know. In your heart of hearts, you'll be like him. Your soul knows that very well. Stand on it. The Bible also says we need to pray for people who would come after us. And we need to understand that they've had their own battles. You know, you, you, I, I want all of us to understand this. When somebody opposes you, it's not about you. It's not about you. It's about what's happening in their life. People come after us. People oppose us. People are uh, adverse to that which we try to accomplish because they're hurting, not because they want us to hurt, because they're fearful, not because they want us to fear. When Jesus hung on the cross and he cried, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He was doing two things. He was interceding for these people, and he was making a defense. Making a defense for people that were killing him. Listen, we've got some people that snipe at us, and we can't pray for them. We can't understand. We can't, we can't assume that there's some reason, something in their life that's taking them off track. You better bet we better. We got to do that. When I was growing up, there was a sadistic little kid in my neighborhood, and he didn't, he didn't just kill bugs, he made them suffer. And he'd come out with little tricks that would, that would shock other kids, and, and I thought, what in the world would make a kid so stinking mean? And then one day I met his mom and his dad, and I knew they were some of the most messed up people I'd ever seen in my life. Boy, did my prayer for him ever become easier. Whether you ever find the reason or not, listen to this. Assume that there's good reason. There's not good excuse, but there's good reason for them being like they are. Pray for them. Intercede for them. Now, some people say, well, if I forgive them, does that mean I just got to go back to the old, the old relationship and just act like nothing's ever happened? Never happened. Absolutely not. That's not what forgiveness is. Forgiveness you lay out there because it's what God says to do. Forgiveness you lay out there because it sets you free. Forgiveness you lay out there hoping that it will affect their lives and they'll turn around. But until they turn around, the forgiveness is really not operative in their life. You see, Christ died on the cross for everybody. 
But it doesn't become operative until somebody, until somebody says, I repent and I want that for me. And that's the same way with forgiveness. There were, there's, there's a number of things, in the old, a number of incidents in the Old Testament where somebody who was a strong spiritual leader went back and helped somebody who was just kind of a booger head. Think of, think of Abraham and Lot. Now, Lot was a stinko. Took the best land, went, <laughs> couldn't wait to go to Sodom, live in Sodom, and got in all kinds of trouble. When he got in trouble, who was the first one there to rescue him? Abraham. Now, afterwards, did they live together? No. As a matter of fact, Lot just went out and sinned some more. But, but Abraham still did him good. Um, think of Joseph and his brothers. Rescued him. Think of, think of David and Saul. You read that this week in your curriculum. Um, um, now, now, David did not do any harm to Saul. Saul was nuts. I mean, tried to stab him with a spear. Now, after, after all this, after David could have killed him twice and didn't kill him, did David go back and start playing the flute for him again? Or the lyre? No, he remembered the spear thing. <laughs> it's okay to remember the spear thing. All right? Don't, you don't need to go back into that. As a matter of fact, you need to rearrange the relationship so that they will not fall into the temptation of hurting you in the same way again. You've got to protect them from themselves. Look, if that's all they can offer, then pray for them, bless their hearts, but don't expect them to offer anything else. The Lord can do a work there, but you can't do a work. So you've got to be kind of like Nehemiah. Remember Nehemiah in chapter 4, verse 17, where he's building the wall, and he's got these enemies right out there? And, and, and the Bible says that with the one hand, he kept building, and in the other hand, he kept a weapon. In other words, he was, he was continuing to do something good and constructive with one hand and defending himself with the other hand. That's what you've got to do. You've got to, you've got to continue to build what God has told you to build. And you've got to, got to defend just in case there's an attack. And you've got to expect that there'll probably be an attack. But when there's an attack, guess what you're going to do? You're going to do them good again. You're going to do them good again. You know why? Because you're children of the king. Because you are like your father who is in heaven, who makes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends his reign on the unrighteous and the, and the righteous. Now, one more thing. It is very, very important that you release yourself from being preoccupied with any specific person in your life who is causing you a great deal of hurt right now. Very important. Because you've got to go to bigger things. God made you for bigger things. When Paul and John Mark had their conflict, they just separated. And they went their own ways. And John Mark still did the Lord good, and Paul just still did the Lord good. And later on, years, years on down the line, they kind of got back together and kind of reconciled a little bit. But they didn't, they didn't work together again. I mean, they, they, they just kind of, kind of reconciled, and that was okay. You have a bigger picture that God wants you to accomplish. And so it is very important that you do what you can, you do them good, you forgive them, you pray for them, but that's not your life. This is your life. This is your life. You love them as much as you can, as much as they will let you, but this is your life. 
This is what God made you for. It's important that you learn that so that you can accomplish and be perfect like your Heavenly Father is perfect. It's important that you learn what you learn through. You know, you know the most important lessons you'll ever learn are the lessons of an, that an enemy can teach you. There was a Greek um, um, philosopher lived in the more, middle 400s B.C. His name was Antisthenes, and he said this, Pay close attention to your enemies. They will be the first ones to point out your mistakes. I want to tell you, we learn no more valuable lessons than our enemies can teach us. And that is how we will escape many a snare if we learn from our detractors. Learn from them. Learn from them. But you got to go on from there. you got to go on from there. With doing practical good that not only loves them, but loves them by building a better world. See, that's the great victory of God. The great victory of God is that He not only gives us the personal attention way more than we deserve, but in the midst of all of it, He uses us to build a better world. Use your enemies to build a better world, both for everyone else and for them. That is the ultimate victory. Pray with me. God, thanks for opposition in this life. That is a weird prayer. It's weird to say. But we know that you are a God who is so complete and so sovereign that you use everything for your good. And so, Father, we thank you for that. We love you for that. And we ask you to, to teach us by our battles how to be more loving and more giving and more sacrificial, whether people deserve it or not. That is the victory that we have in Jesus Christ, and that is our victory. We pray in His name. Amen.